Thank you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. Church, good morning. Second service, you are awake and ready to go today. I can tell. I can tell. Hey, listen, I'm so excited to be sharing this morning. It's been a while since I've been up here, and I'm excited to be back. Um, But before we dive in, I just want to remind you to mark your calendars for next Sunday. It is our movement night. Now, listen, I don't know if you've been to a movement night before or not, but if you haven't, you're missing out. So next Sunday at 5 p.m., we are having our movement night, and we like to call it the secret sauce of the movement church. Like, you've got to come and hang out with us. Our worship team will be leading us in worship, and um, we're just really expecting for what God wants to do. So I don't want you to miss it. You've got a week's notice. Save the date. Come out and join us. We're going to have a great time together. But for right now, we're going to dive into week two of our series called Gilded Cage. And this series is all about living a life that's not about me. Living a life that's not about me. And you know, this this series is really, the goal and the objective here is to address the consumer Christian mentality that every single one of us can slip into if we're not careful. And last week, Pastor Kerry preached an incredible message just challenging, I think, every single one of us in the room to identify who we are and where we might be struggling with this. And the whole concept of this message, Gilded Cage, is based off of a song that was written in the early 1900s. And it was about a a woman who married for all the wrong reasons. And she traded a life of fulfillment for a life of material gain and really experienced the the devastation of trading that in. And, And I just wanna challenge us because I believe that God has called us to live a fulfilling, exciting, joyful life. It's the life you and I were created to live. And, and so to do that, I just, I just want to challenge us today to really be willing to look internally and say, God, what are you trying to say to me? Where are you trying to get my attention today? You know, Jesus, he was talking to a group of his disciples and actually teaching a, a whole bunch of people in the book of Luke. And and, and Jesus, I love the way that he taught. He always taught with stories. And he would tell stories so that you and me, we could relate to it. And so he told this story. It says that he was speaking to the people and he went on to say, take care, protect yourself against the least little bit of greed. Life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. And then he told them this story. He said, There was a farm of a certain rich man and it produced a a terrific crop. And the rich man, he talked to himself and said, what can I do? My barn isn't big enough for all of this harvest. And then he said, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And then I'll gather in all of my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, self, you have done well. You've got it made, and now you can retire. Take it easy. Have the time of your life. And just then, God showed up and said, Fool, tonight you die, and your barn full of goods. Who gets it? 
You see, that's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. You know, it's so easy for us in this American culture that we live in, in this beautiful region of South Orange County, it's so easy for all of us to drift in our focus. It's so easy to be consumed and to become consumed with the things that, that really don't matter as much as we feel like they do. Jesus continued on from telling that story and he talked to his disciples and he said, listen, I know that you worry about so many little things. You worry about what you're gonna eat and you worry about what you're gonna wear, but quit worrying about these things because you have a father in heaven who's going to take care of them. And he says this one instruction to the disciples, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. See, what Jesus was attempting to do was to give his disciples some tools to set them up for living a true life of fulfillment. And that's what I wanna to talk to you about today. So can we bow our heads and close our eyes? Lord Jesus, I come before you right now, God, and I thank you for what you are doing in this room. God, I thank you that it's not by accident that any individual showed up here this morning. God, you have a plan for each and every one of us. So today, God, I just ask that you would challenge us. God, that we wouldn't walk out of this church the same way we came in. But God, that you would open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive exactly what you have for us today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, as I was getting ready for this message, and I was trying to think of uh, what to call this message and really what, what points I wanted to share with you, I just realized that today's going to feel a little bit different because I have just a one-point message for you today, and, and it, yeah, wow, thanks a lot. I heard that down there on the front row. I, I started thinking about this nursery rhyme that I used to do when I was in preschool. And when I would go to preschool, our teacher would gather us up in a circle and we would all participate in this nursery rhyme. And maybe you're familiar with it, maybe you're not. I don't know what your preschool was like, but we would play this game and it went something like this. Who stole the cookie from the cookie jar? Megan stole the cookie from the cookie jar. Who, me? Yes, you. Couldn't be. Then who, right? And so we'd play this game, and then it would be my turn because my name was called, and I would go, Carrie stole the cookie from the cookie jar. Who, me? Yes, you. Couldn't be. Then who? And this game would continue on and on and on as we all continued to pass the buck around the circle until I think the teacher just got tired of playing the same game with the same beat and she would finally say, I did it. I stole the cookie. Game over, right? And take the responsibility. And so I would just like to title this message, Who Me? Yes, You. Look at your neighbor and say, Who Me? Look at your other neighbor and say, Yes, You. Okay, who me? Yes, you. And this is really the point of today's message. But I want to explore with you out of the book of Esther in the Bible. And the book of Esther, maybe you're familiar with it, maybe you're not. And listen, dudes, do not tune out because you think this is a book for chicks in the Bible, okay? This is for all of us. We can all pull something valuable out of this today. But I want to talk to you out of the book of Esther and, and really tell you this story from the Old Testament about a powerful king and a ruler in the 5th century being who took the throne in the place of his father Darius and his great his grandfather Cyrus the Great 
This king was known for conquering much of the, the Middle East from India to Ethiopia. He, he was famous for what he did in, in his Greek name. Maybe some of you will identify with who this king is. His Greek name was Xerxes. He's famous for leading the Persian invasion of Greece and the battle with the Spartans at Thermopylae. This is the king we're talking about when we look at the book of Esther, chapter 1. And the book of Esther actually refers to him as King Ashuerus. King Ashuerus. And, and we find him in the book of Esther, chapter 1, and this king knows how to party. Like, he knows how to throw a really good party because the book of Esther tells us that he was throwing a party that had lasted for a 180 days. Come on. The guy knew how to party. So he's throwing this party that's been going on and on for all of these days, and, and he decides to end it with a feast for all of the people who live in Susa, where he let, lived. And so he throws this seven-day feast, and he throws a feast for all of the men, and his queen throws a feast for all of the women. And on the final day of this feast, the king, he's been showing off everything he has, all of his wealth, all of his power. He has just, he has just been showing it all off. And on the final day of the feast, he decides he wants to show off his most prized possession, the thing that he valued the most. And it was his queen. So he sends a message to Queen Vashti, who, by the way, is having her own party at this time. And he sends a message and he orders her to appear at his party. And she says, no. <laughs> now, for a while, I kind of admired this part of the story. I was like, all right, you go, girl. And then I realized that I might be a little off in my interpretation because we don't know exactly what King Ashuerus was trying to do by bringing Queen Vashti to the courts. But we know that he wanted to show her off, and we know that she was, she was what he valued the most, and he had called for her to come, and this is what we know. She was the queen. She wore the crown. She had been placed in this place of royal position and given a position of influence. And when she was called for to come to the courts, she said no. But yet that was part of the responsibility associated with the crown. And I think we could speculate a lot about this story. I don't know what Queen Vashti was thinking when she said no. I don't know if she was trying to prove a point. I don't know if she was taking a risk. I don't know if she was just having too much fun at her own party that she didn't want to go to the king's party. I don't know. But what I know is that it was self-motivated because she didn't value the position that she'd been entrusted with. So the king is angry. He's ticked off and he asks his advisors, what do I need to do about this? And listen, they were a little bit self-motivated too because they didn't want their wives to rise up and cause a coup. And so they, they're telling the king, you got to do something about this. And so in Esther, the first chapter, verse 19, they say this, if it pleases the king, let a royal order go out from him and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes so that it might not be repealed that Vashti is never again to come before King Ashuerus and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. Huh. You see, Vashti, regardless of her reasoning, Regardless of whatever excuse or whatever risk she might have been taking, Vashti didn't steward well the position or the crown that she'd been entrusted with. And because of that, it was all taken away from her. And what happens then, many of you are familiar with this part of the story, is a few, 
some time passes and, and the king, he's ready to have a new queen. And so he decides to hold a beauty pageant and he holds this beauty pageant where women from all over come and they, they begin to go through these royal beauty treatments. And among those women was a woman named Esther. And her, she was being raised by, by basically a cousin who was much older than her. His name was Mordecai and he worked in the palace and he was a Jew. They were Jews and Esther comes on the scene into this beauty pageant and Esther finds favor with everyone that she's placed in contact with, including the king. So after months and months of beauty treatment, as she goes in before the king, oh my goodness, he is wowed by this woman. And he decides, Esther, she's going to be my new queen. And he places her in this position of authority and influence. He puts a crown on her head and he calls her the queen. And so all of a sudden, we have a new queen on the scene. There's so much else that unfolds in this book of Esther. And I'm telling you, if you haven't read the Bible, you need to read the Bible. There's so many exciting stories and so many juicy details. Mordecai goes on to unfold a plot to kill the king. And, and he's honored for that. And then the king puts this evil guy in second in command. And this evil guy named Haman, he's prideful and he's cocky. And he wants everyone to bow down before him. But Mordecai won't do it because Mordecai's a Jew. And he says, you're not God. And there's all of this drama that unfolds and Haman gets angry and he decides that he's going to convince the king to not just do away with Mordecai, but to do away with his entire people group. And so Haman gets the king to sign off on an edict that is going to kill all of the Jews. And as you can imagine, if you were a Jew, they went into panic mode and began to desperately cry out before God. And as was customary in that time, they went into a place of mourning where they ripped their clothing and they put ashes on their head and they desperately cried out before God for help because their life was at risk. And Queen Esther is in the palace and she hears about Mordecai and she hears that he's sitting in the streets with his garments torn and ashes on his head. And she says, oh, this shouldn't be happening. And she sends fresh garments for Mordecai, but he refuses them. And he sends word to Esther and he says, Esther, you've got to do something about what is happening. You've got to do something. And Esther goes, I, I, I can't do anything about this. And we pick up in the book of Esther, chapter four, verse 11, and it says that, all the king's servants and all the people of the king's provinces, they know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner courts without being called for, there is but one law to be put to death, except for the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I've not been called to come to the king for these 30 days. What Esther's trying to help us understand is this is impossible. This thing that Mordecai's asking her to do, this would risk everything and, and really ultimately her life. And she's saying, this is, this is not acceptable. This is not something that I feel qualified or able or competent to do. And I don't know if you've ever been there where you've been in a position where, where you've been prompted to do something, but you just feel like, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if that would be acceptable. What will people think? And, and how would that work out for me? I, I, I'm a little nervous about stepping up to that. And here's where Esther finds herself. So she sends that message back to Mordecai. Well, they're going to play tag here with messages because Mordecai's like, okay, hold on a second. And he sends a message back to Esther in chapter four, verse 12. And he says, do not think to yourself, 
Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. What Mordecai is acknowledging here is that God is not limited by one person. He's acknowledging that if you don't do your part, it's okay, God's still in control and God will still do something. But, but then he continues with this famous line and he says this, and who knows? Who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this? For such a time as this. And Esther receives that message and she recognizes. She has this moment of realization Maybe this is why I'm here. Maybe I found favor with all of those people and favor with the king and was placed in this position as queen for, for this moment right here. But you see what, what Esther's facing and what she's looking at looks impossible. It looks frightening. It looks overwhelming. There's a lot of questions going on inside her head. And so what she does is she calls out to all of the Jews and she asks for them to fast and to pray with her because she realizes that what she's about to do cannot be done without the power of God. And I think sometimes we've got to realize that. There's some things that we might be challenged to do and step up and say yes to. And, and we feel overwhelmed by what that looks like. And we feel like it's impossible or maybe we're a little fearful of the situation, but if we could just understand, this can't be done, but without the power of God. And so Esther gets the people around her to begin to pray with her and for her. See, Esther's gonna put everything on the line. She's gonna put her comfort on the line her life in the palace on the line. We don't know if she has children or not, but if she had children, she's putting their lives on the line. And the thing that is different from Esther than Vashti is she's taking this risk because she recognizes her influence. She's taking this risk because she recognizes the royal crown and the authority that's been given to her and the position of influence that she's been placed in. So Esther... Maybe you know the story, she goes to the king and she shows up in those inner courts where no one is supposed to come. And she walks through the door and if you've ever seen this movie, this is a moment that everyone's breath gets like <gasps> sucked out of the room because we don't know what's gonna happen. But what happens again is that the queen, Esther, finds favor with the king and he extends the royal scepter towards her. So her life is spared. But now she has a job to do, and she's got to tell the king about what's happening and plead for the life, not just of her, but of her people. And so she goes before the king, and with all wisdom and all honor, she begins to present to him the situation. And spoiler alert, the end of the story is simply this. The king, the king makes sure that all of the Jews are saved and that the enemy is defeated. <laughs> That's what happens in the story, all because... Esther was willing to take a risk and recognize the position that she had been placed in and the, the authority and influence that she had been given as the queen. And I just want to challenge this movement, church. Like Vashti and like Esther, you are positioned for influence. You are positioned for influence. Now, I don't know your story. 
I don't know your background. I don't know what you walked in the doors of church feeling or wrestling with today. And maybe you're here and you're wrestling with faith. Maybe you're here and you're like, I just, I'm not sure what I believe. And we say this at the movement church all the time, permission to belong before you believe. But if you're here and you call yourself a Christ follower, my challenge to you today is you've been placed here in a position of influence for such a time as this. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, in the message translation, it says this, but you are ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work. In other translations, it says a royal priesthood, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and to speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you. From nothing to something. From rejected to accepted. This is the message for all of us who call ourselves Christ followers. You've been positioned for such a time as this. You have a royal place of influence. And you know, today more than anything, I don't want you to walk away from a church service with with some practical points that you're gonna go through your week and work on applying, I actually hope that you leave today with a rumbling in your heart, a challenge that maybe makes you question some things. I hope that you leave today wrestling some things out in your own heart. I hope that the presence of God leans in really close for you personally, that you personally have this awareness and this understanding that you have been called for such a time as this. Don't think it's by accident that you are here at the Movement Church today. Don't think it's by accident that you live in South Orange County, one of the most beautiful places in the world and one of the most expensive, okay? Don't think it's by accident that you live here. Don't think it's by accident that you were born in the century you were born in. My husband sometimes jokes about wanting to live in the 1800s and like the wild, wild west. I'm really grateful I did not. But don't think it's by accident that you were born in the century you were born in, that you were born in the generation you were born in. I know Pastor Kerry thinks that he's a millennial. It's debatable. <laughs> but whether you're a millennial or a Gen Xer or a baby boomer or a Generation Z or whatever all the other names are they're coming up with, don't think it's by accident that God placed you in that generation. He handcrafted you. The Bible tells us he created us inside of our mother's womb. He created every intricate part of who we are, which means those things that get you excited, the things that you're passionate about, the things that move you towards compassion, God put that inside of you. The skill set that you have, the thing that you are so talented at that other people struggle with, God gave that to you. And God's timing is perfect. God's timing is perfect. He crafted you with all of your passions, with all of your skill set, with everything that is inside of you for such a time as this. Such a time as this, 2019, this season of time that we live in. I don't know if you're aware of all of the things that are going on in our world in this season of time that God handcrafted us to live in. 
You know, the refugee crisis is gone. I feel like I'm talked about on the news for quite some time, but the refugee crisis and the political unrest that's happening around our world is insane. And we don't have even all of the statistics, but the statistics from the end of 2017 would tell us that 68.5 million individuals were forcibly displaced worldwide as a result of persecution and conflict and violence and violation of human rights. That is a lot of people. And that number was an increase of 2.9 million from the previous year. 25.4 million of those individuals are refugees. The highest number ever seen, ever seen. Right now, this generation that God has called us to and placed us in, we're looking at the, the highest number of refugees and Displaced people, 40 million internally displaced people. Do you know that that means that they haven't been forced out of their country of origin, but they've been forced to leave their homes? 40 million people. 3.1 million asylum seekers. And the statistics say that new displacement remains very high and one person becomes displaced every two seconds. Less time than it took for me to read that sentence to you. That's 30 people who are displaced every minute. One in every 110 people globally is either an asylum seeker or internally displaced or a refugee. Listen, we live in a crazy time in history. The history books will talk about this season and this time, but yet God saw fit that you and I would be alive in this time in history. God saw fit that we would be here for such a time as this. You know, I was just recently having a conversation with a neighbor who lives in Orange County where you and I live and talking about the, the tragedy of human trafficking. And she said, yeah, I'm, I'm aware of that. I've seen Taken. And I was like, me too. <laughs> Scary movie. Yes, that happens. But do you know that it happens in Orange County, California? She said, no, that doesn't happen here. And I said, friends, you're fooled. You're so distracted by all the things that are happening around you that you're not seeing what's happening behind the scenes. And, and I did some research on human trafficking according to the 2017 Human Trafficking Victim Report that was produced by the Orange County Human Trafficking Task Force, Orange County. And of the 284 Orange County human trafficking victims assisted in 2017, 284 assisted. That's, that's the ones we know about and the ones we've been able to help not everyone else, 241 or 85% of them were victims of sex trafficking. That's a, that's a lot of crazy stuff happening in the region where God placed you and I to live. 97% were female, 69% were adults, and 31% were minors. There's some crazy things happening in this world that you and I are, are living in right now in this moment. Foster statistics across the, the nation tell us in 2018, there was 400,000 children in foster care in the U.S. 400,000 children who are not being raised by their biological mom or dad. And many of those have been taken out of abusive situations. Many of those, the parents have just failed to have what they need to raise them well. So many different situations that are happening. And, and we could presume to understand, but 
it's hard to understand unless you've walked in those shoes. And here in California, there are 60,000 children in foster care in desperate need to know that they are seen, that they're known, that they are loved. And 70 to 80% of street and indoor prostituted trafficked girls come out of the foster system. Church, I, I think we have a job to do. Homelessness, California is one of the highest ranked states in this nation and there's 134,000 homeless people in California, 55,000 in LA County alone. And why am I telling you all of these things? I'm sharing this with you because God saw fit for you and for me to be living right now in this day in history, to be alive, to be active, to be breathing, he created you and me with different passions, different things that motivate us towards compassion. God created us and placed us here in Orange County, California for such a time as this. And I'm not saying you need every solution, but what's a part that we could play? Do you have compassion for these individuals? We may not be able to solve this for every single one, but but what's something you could do for one? You know, my family on Christmas, I don't know why we came up with this idea years ago, but we just decided that on Christmas morning when we make our big Christmas breakfast, that we were gonna double what we made and package it up in brown paper bags and, and go out and just see if we could find any of the homeless people who live in our community that might need a Christmas breakfast. My kids look forward to it every year. And so sometimes it takes a little bit of driving around for a while, but there's always this one man in Capo Beach across from the Costco, and he looks like Santa Claus. <laughs> and this year I found out his name was Ramon. And when we pulled into the parking lot this year with a little brown paper bag of, you know, pigs in a blanket <laughs> and, a, and a hot chocolate, when we pulled into the parking lot, he stood up because he recognized our faces. He's not off the streets yet. But if that one morning we could maybe just tell him Merry Christmas and tell him that he's loved and that God sees him and he knows him. I'm willing to do that part. And I'm just asking you, what's maybe one thing that God might be challenging you to do? And let's make it just a tad bit more personal. We have friends and family all around you that are dealing with feelings of anxiety, feelings of depression, Today, across this room from you, I guarantee there's probably someone who is struggling in their marriage or someone who is walking through the excruciating pain of divorce. People all around you that need to know they're not alone, who need to know that there is hope. And listen to me, Movement Church. You wear the crown. You are the answer. You wear the crown. You are the answer. You have been placed here for such a time as this. You know, statistics would tell us that the church is the greatest form of evangelism known today. And do you know there are 3.2 million people in Orange County and 2.8 million people that do not attend church? That is a lot of people 
That is a lot of people who may not know the hope that is found in Jesus. That's a lot of people who might look like they have things together on the outside, but on the inside are dealing with brokenness and pain and feeling depressed and medicating with prescription drugs or whatever else it might be, just needing to know that there's a God in heaven who sees them in the middle of their mess and he loves them right where they're at and he offers hope and solution and strength. And church, we are the answer. We are the answer. The movement church was called to South Orange County for such a time as this. And we won't stop until all have heard. That's why we give you Easter invitations. That's why we talk about inviting people to church. You were placed here for such a time as this. But yet, so often we live life in a gilded cage, playing that silly childhood game where the moment somebody says, it's you, who, me? Yes, you, couldn't be. Then who? Who? Why do we want to keep passing the buck? Why do we keep waiting for someone else to step up? Why do we keep waiting for someone else to, to say yes to leading a connect group? Serving on a team to, to doing the work. Why do we keep waiting? Because I think sometimes we feel so disqualified. We feel incapable. We feel like there's nothing we could really do. Or maybe we're scared of what it's going to cost. Maybe we're a little nervous about what that kind of sacrifice would look like. And we sit back and we keep passing it on to somebody else. And all the while, all the things going on all around us are continuing to happen because the solution is somebody stepping up and going, yes, it's me, it's me. And I'm just challenging you, church. I hope that when you leave here today that there's a wrestle that is beginning to happen inside of you. And you may not know where to start. And that's okay, but the, the point is you do something. Just do something. Maybe for some of you, you've walked through some pain in your past and you simply need to say yes to leading a connect group because there's some people who are in this church that come Sunday, April 28th, when our connect group season rolls out, they need a place to go to know that they're not alone, to know that they can make it through whatever the challenges that they're facing. And you know, because you've been there and maybe it's time for you to say, you know what? I can give six weeks to open my home or to meet at a Starbucks or to do whatever it takes to create a space for people to find relationship and the hope that is found in Jesus. Maybe it's serving on a team and helping to build the church so that people can come here and they can encounter the presence of God in a real way because the presence of God is what changes things. Maybe you have an idea for a nonprofit, a creative idea that, that has been stirring inside of you for some time to address some of the specific needs in our world, but it's overwhelming. And you feel like, how could we possibly do that? But maybe you just need to take the first step. Maybe you need to start dreaming again. Maybe you need to start praying again. Maybe you need to do a connect group for some people around you to get together and come up with some solutions to solve some of the problems that are happening right now in our region and in our world. Why? Because you have been placed here for such a time as this. 
You've been placed in your schools for such a time as this, in your businesses for such a time as this. You may have just gotten a promotion and your office moved into a new office. It might not just be about you. It might be about the person next door to you that needs to know there's hope, that needs to know your story, the play date that you go on with your kids, the mom that you've seen for a couple years now, and maybe she just needs to know your story, that there's hope. You've been placed in her life for such a time as this, for such a time as this, and I just want to challenge you not to miss the moment. Don't pass the buck. Really quickly as I close, I got on an airplane a couple years ago. I was coming home from an event, and I was so tired. And I had preached like two times at this event, and and it was a late-night flight, and I was coming home and going to jump into the whirlwind of coming home from travel. Some of you know what that looks like. And and I just wanted to get on the plane and put my my headphones in and and listen to some music or a podcast or just something that was going to be mindless. And I sat down on the plane, and all of a sudden, this girl started boarding the plane. And she looked like a hot mess. And you know how when you're on a plane, you kind of do the, like, avoid eye contact and hope that that person's not going to sit down next to you and you're going to have a row all to yourself? Don't, don't act like you don't do it. And I was sitting there on the plane, and, and this girl, sure enough, with all of her bags, like, shoving them into the overhead compartment and, like, scooting past me into my row and it was just the two of us and I thought all right do I keep listening to my music or do I do the courteous thing of like hi how are you going to California awesome what's taking you there and I finally decided I just felt like I needed to say something to her and so I said hi how's it going and she just welled up big tears in her eyes I go you doing okay and she goes I'm not I'm going to California because I have to, and I'm, I'm headed to rehab. I've been struggling with a drug addiction for years, and my husband just took our kids away, and, and I have two little kids, and I just want to be with them, and I just want to be healthy, but I just can't seem to do it. And so for the next hour and a half from Phoenix to Orange County, we just proceeded to talk, and I opened up the Bible and began to show her some things and talk to her about Jesus, and really not in an eloquent pastoral way, because listen, anybody can talk about Jesus. You just talk about what he's done in your life, how he's changed you, how he brought you from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. You just begin to talk about that. And all of a sudden, she just began to cry, and she said, I need Jesus. And I said, well, it's really simple. You can pray this prayer with me. And on an airplane surrounded by people, and we just began to pray. And, and I, I didn't know where that would go, and I actually didn't know if I'd ever hear from that girl again. But two years later, I got a message on Facebook, and she said, I don't know if you remember me, but I sat next to you on a plane, and you told me about Jesus. And I got cleaned up and sober. And I'm back with my husband, husband, and I'm back with my kids, and God has radically changed my life. It's so easy to be distracted. It's so easy to miss a moment. It's so easy to be caught up in what I need and what I think is fulfilling, but miss out on what God crafted and created you for. You are here for such a time as this. Who, me? Yes, you. Yes, you. So what is God challenging you with today? 
Where do you need to say yes? Where do you need to be obedient? I believe that we're going to tell stories from the movement church of a nation that has changed, of a region that has changed, of a world that is impacted because a few brave people said yes. And I'm going to pray for us all in just a moment, but before I do that, Pastor Carrie alluded to this during our time of worship. There might be some people here who are just feeling so unqualified. Maybe you're here and you just feel like you don't deserve what I'm saying that God has for you. Maybe when you look at your story and you look at your past, you're reminded of all the failures and all the mistakes, and it just seems to be on replay inside your head. And I just want you to know that I believe today Jesus wants to walk in that room and say, it's okay. I'll meet you today. Who, me? Yes, you. He chooses you in the middle of your mess. You don't have to get it all cleaned up first. He's right here in this moment. And maybe you've never made a decision to follow Jesus and to let him be in the driver's seat of your life. I believe today's your day. And maybe you're here today and you've just been running from God and doing things your own way, living life in a gilded cage. And it's time to come back. And I'd like to pray a prayer with you. So I'm gonna invite everyone in this room to bow your head and close your eyes. Nobody looking around. And I want you just to take a quiet moment. And if that's you and you're here and you need to make a decision today to follow Jesus, maybe you just, you feel like you don't deserve it. Well, that's the gift of God's grace. It's unmerited favor. It's undeserved, but he loves you and chooses you today. So if you're here and you need to make today a decision day for you, I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer with me. And if you're here and maybe you've been running from God for whatever the reason might be, today's the day to come back. And I'm not going to ask you to get out of your seat or even pray out loud, but I'm just going to ask in the stillness of your heart and the quietness of your seat, would you just pray this simple prayer with me? Say, dear God, I know that you're real. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for choosing me. Thank you for forgiving me. Today, I'm making a decision to follow you. And all around this room, if that's you, would you just let these words be the cry of your heart? Say, Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name. And let me pray for all of us this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you, God, that you have entrusted us with this beautiful time in history. God, thank you that you have placed us here for such a time as this. God, I thank you for every man and woman and teenager and child in the room today. God, I thank you that today you are awakening dreams. God, I thank you that today, God, you are reminding us of purpose. God, I thank you that today you are challenging us. God, that you're convicting us, that you're reminding us, God, that we are called for such a time as this. So Lord, would you give us the courage to say yes? Would you give us the boldness to follow you with a reckless abandon and see what you want to do in this beautiful time in history you've called us to? In Jesus' name we pray. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Please email us at info at theocmovement.com. And if you were not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Please send us an email at info at theocmovement.com. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.